Hello and welcome to University Challenged. My very special guest this week is Sean Frolick. He's a business founder and an non-executive director and he shares a wealth of stories and insights into what's taken him from a square bashing school that he couldn't wait to get away from to a position where today he's helped dozens of business leaders successfully increase and realise the value in their own organisations. He talks about his earliest beginnings of being adopted by highly academic parents, and his father's experiences as an escapee German Jew, and it's a really compelling story of embracing possibilities and playing to your strengths. Sean shares teaching moments, which include being the butt of practical jokes as a member of the kitchen staff, learning what it means when a company goes bust, deciding where to work based on what's in the car park, and being interviewed by HR when you've already got around 30 years of experience of running highly successful organisations. We also talk about how dyslexia impacted Sean's schooling, why he ran away from a lovely home to find his own way, and how his view on education and the world of work informs his hopes for his children. It's a wide-ranging and uplifting conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Hello, Sean. Thank you. Hello. Thank you for agreeing to um, come on the podcast, be interviewed by me. So for our many, many listeners and the many more to come, um, can you please share your full name and what it is that you do today? (laughs) <laughs> you never mentioned anything about my full name David Oliver <laughs> Sean Frolic that confuses people oh, yeah I was right. adopted and my adoptive mother um wanted to call me Sean but didn't think that the initials she'd have given me with Sean Oliver David would help me in life so she thought <laughs> she'd help me a lot more by calling me David Oliver Sean Frolic but really Sean and it's not that helpful in you know, in the world of, you know, cybercrime and all the rest of it and proving your identity, it's an absolute curse to have a given name that doesn't match your passport name. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I guess on top of that, people also just spell your name wrong all the time as well. The frolic yeah. bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. you know, Tony, it means happy in German. I think you do know that. And, <laughs> uh, I've always been perfectly chuffed that that's my surname. And I was thinking about your first name, actually. Because mine, I'm always Tony with a Y. It doesn't matter how many times I tell people. Do you get S-E-A-N, S-H-U-N, S-H-A-U-N? Well, there you go. Yes, apparently that's the correct way to spell Sean if you're in Ireland, but who knows? Anyway. Okay. And just a quick touch on, you mentioned you were adopted. How old were you when you were adopted? Oh, like, you know, a matter of a few months old. And it's one of those things... Um, both my sister and I were adopted not from the same lineage and mum and dad um, you know were always very upfront about that it was never a sort of a a hidden thing Um, and I don't know how much it informs your life I've always kind of felt kind of I'm also dyslexic Tony as I think you know Mm. Um, I've always felt kind of kind of lucky that you know, I'm a non-standard component and I quite like being a non-standard component. Um, <laughs> you know, I did have all sorts of fantasies when I was a little boy that, you know, some rich sugar mummy or sugar daddy would, you know, suddenly rescue me from all this. But actually, I, I was, bought, uh, you know, adopted into a fantastic family. You know, they possibly had a little bit of a, of a, of a, a, a more of a sort of a, a difficult thing because I was so different to them. I mean, I looked... Physically, I really look like my mum my, my and my dad, black curly hair. Mm. Um, but basically, all the time I was awake, I'd be winding them up. And, <laughs> you know, what gave me energy and what gave them an, an energy and my sister energy was very different. You know, they were very scholastic. Yeah. As this, this podcast will bear out. My dad was a university professor. My mum was a GP and um, didn't come from a fancy background and 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 she wanted to be a nurse and her brother was an amazing older brother said no way you know because nursing was very downtrodden and mm-hmm. uh, and he said you're going to be a doctor and between the two of them they made that possible and wow. so they were very very academically kind of orientated and my sister she's done enough degrees for me you and half a dozen other people and she's she's always been like super bright super academic yeah. you know I would great get great delight if she didn't get a double A star in an exam. And, you know, it (laughs) says lots about me that the day that she didn't get into her first choice 
Cambridge University, I was just jubilant and she was in tears. I mean, what a nasty younger brother I was. I was just thinking, yeah, she's, she's not got her way for once. But she went to Cambridge. It was just yeah. that she was going for a co-educational um, college and she mm. never had any experience of boys. So yes, I had um, three very, very strong, very academic kind of shadows mm. and I didn't give a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just just a little part there about you and your sister kind of gives me a bit of <laughs> comfort well I don't know but that's kind of how it rolls in my house as well so <laughs> our son and daughter um yes delight in each other's uh misfortune I think yeah. it would be fair to say but they love each other really um I mean you know that, that, look I'm 60 it that's the, there is good and bad things about growing old but you know you look back and you see things in a new light if if mm. if if you if you allow yourself to and you know i'm i'm a massive fan of my sisters and yeah. um i don't know like the other way around but you know kids are kind of cruel when they're young and just being themselves and uh, and you know i've learned a bit of psychology along the way it kind of helps to be married to a psychologist and you learn about things like attachment theory and you know there's mm. a lot of research that dictates and it's hardly surprising you know being adopted i always figured it's all nature and it's not nurture because I wasn't like the rest of them but that's you know making the mistake that the world is the way you imagine it to be because you've seen it through your eyes no matter what else you've learned or heard and it took me much longer before I realized it's at, of course it's a, a fusion of DNA and and the influences around you and influences around you and and um, so you know I feel very lucky that I was surrounded by all these bright boffins and I feel just as lucky that I didn't give a hoot. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to please, but yeah. we'll talk about it. I'm sure it will come, come out of this discussion or if we can make it a discussion rather than a monologue. <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't actually know what was expected of me. You know, okay. People say work harder, but I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like. And that was going to be kind of my next question for you. So you've got like paint is a fantastic mm. background there. You've got ultra bright academic household mm. and we won't do primary school years. Let's go to secondary school. Um, what, and you said you're dyslexic. So what was that like for you? What's your memory? You know, you're secondary you're talking to a bloke that can hardly tell the difference between primary and secondary. I kind of get the gist of it, but I can't remember the ages. Um, um, I think my my mother was was very much you know the driver in the house my 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 father was a it turns out a math, math prodigy he wasn't he, you know he was he, he was very famous in his field pure mathematics not that that's a field that people know you know much about it's not a household name but in 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 that world he was incredibly well thought of he was an escapee german jew you know get right. your head around it you know age 16 he fled his own country he left his mum and dad's house and went yeah. on his own steam you know jumping on and off of trains without the money to pay for the train rides to get to Salzburg to, to get to Israel or then Palestine and then when war broke out there he fled that because he kind of didn't want to see any more of that and he wow. he basically hid um, in the UK where his brother was already a doctor of physics mm. and the pair of them were just enormously bright and um and, and to hide from the authorities, dad did a maths degree at Bristol and it was meant to be a two year course and he missed the first term. Mm. And um, so he did the second term and then he did the third term, but he figured he was ready to do his finals, you know, <laughs> two out of the, and, and, you know, marked his own paper, 100%, <laughs> finished his paper early. And the guy was a maths genius, but, you know, n not quite so practical, my, my lovely old man. And so, you know, back to school and my life, Mum was the driving force at home. She was very uh, demonstrative, very strong woman. Mm -hmm. And there were certain schools. We, we, I grew up in Wimbledon, you know, in, in, a, in a, a nice family environment. And um, there were certain schools that she had it in her mind that I was going to go to. And funnily enough, um, in the bit between primary and secondary, um, they took me out of private education and put me somewhere for a little while um uh in a comprehensive school because mum was always trying to find 
there's some strange noise. Um, um, What's that? I, <laughs> a landline? <laughs> it might be. I'm hoping it will stop like all the things that we don't like. Um, I'm going to carry on, Tony, if it's not distracting yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the podcast. So uh, wherever I what was, I is so some some school and and so my mother, although I always felt we were um, a little bit um, on, you know, on different pages and um, we had a pretty difficult relationship. She was always looking out for what she thought was right for me. Mm. And in hindsight, you know, she had it mapped out. She and dad were going to knock their pan out and put all of their life savings into making sure my sister and I had the best educational possibilities. And, you know, you know, that's what money went on. We didn't have yeah. a colour TV. You know, I'm old. We didn't have a colour TV when people had color tvs we didn't even have a tv with itv we only had bbc i mean we, yeah. you know, they were frugal and they were frugal because they wanted to enable sorrel and myself to have the education that that neither of them could have had and that's incredibly laudable and and clearly makes me feel a little bit guilty because um uh you know it, it was just not up my strata and no. but mum never gave up trying to find my thing um, which plays out in a variety of ways. Um, so she took me out of some nice little, you know, Wimbledon prep school that she'd had me at into some comprehensive school, which would have got against her grain. But mm. she figured I'd be under less competitive pressure right. and I'd kind of find my feet. And I did, but I don't know what possessed it. And it just put me back into the other one. So I went, <laughs> I went to King's Wimbledon, uh, you know, in year one as my mm. secondary school. And I right. remember my first, my first, um, my first experience was, um, you know, being welcomed in there and, you know, very scary, hairy teacher um, using the word bloody. Right. And, um, and I was like, you know, actually kind of, frightened you know it's like what is this place you know very yeah. very disciplinarian and very scary and very austere um and you know that was that was really marked but you know most of those years I was just always in trouble Tony you know <laughs> I, I was I was the fat kid I was you know in the lower grades and mm. boy at Kings you know that gave you a lot of scope because they had five grades I was never actually in the fifth but you know uh, I normally kind of hovered between the bottom of the third and the bottom of the fourth yeah <laughs> I just had an aversion to being anywhere near the top of anything I kind of excelled at rugby I was musical um and um when I say I excelled at rugby I was in the second team for that but I was absolutely nailed on and there were many other teams yeah and um and and I loved that and it was a kind of a square bashing school mm. and um I was just a troublesome teenager you know mm. found the pub fags booze um but um but my education came in a variety of themes I'm, I'm sure this is true for everybody but um, I was, uh, as long as I was awake, I was trying to sell something, you know, whether yeah. it was, you know, to raise money for the, you know, something going on at school or whether it was just, I was deprived, you know, although I was a fat kid, I was deprived sweets. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so I was always flogging things so I could buy, yeah. you know, I mean, you were like the king, if you could get a full size bottle of Tizer, that was like the top, the top ranking. <laughs> you know bit of booty and if yeah. you had a five a five d return i really am sounding properly old some of the people if if they haven't given up by now listening into this will be like 5d what's he talking <laughs> about yeah not some sort of broadband um uh, but um is d pence is that what yeah, it is pound shillings yeah. and pence LSD. Yeah. yeah yeah not a drug our our our, our, our currency a long time ago mm. oh where's my thread gone um so yeah Are you and, selling and I, stuff Yes, I was selling stuff, and then I got a. I, I, yeah, I've always thrown myself into things. So um, I found sailing. Well, that's entirely wrong, um, and not a story that we've got time for in the half-hour time budget of everything. But, but um, Mum was always watching and trying to find my thing. And you know, gadzooks, it wasn't ballet, and it wasn't crochet, and it wasn't all the other things that my sister lapped up. Mm. But then by accident, I was put in a boat where I was on a day where I was being very, very disruptive. Mm. And um, I loved it. It was a sailing boat and um, mum just sussed it. Right. So you had sails <laughs> and sailing. 
So you know, age 12, I think I got taken to some smelly gravel pit um, near Staines, Enterprise School of Sailing, probably doesn't exist anymore. Four Sundays on the trot, dad drove me there and he walked around the banks doing his maths because he was, you know, he was just forever writing theorems. And, yeah. and I learned to sail and, and that was me. And so my education came much more. I mean, and the world's changed, but we lived in Wimbledon. I don't know how far Thames Ditton is away, maybe 12, 15 miles, something like that down mm -hmm. the A3. I would cycle to and from the sailing club age 12 onwards, three or four mm -hmm. times a week. I was super fit. And, yeah. and I hung out with older kids. I was always quite big for my years at that, that point. I'm a short ass now, but I got, I got, I got to the, the size that I am early Mm. And all hung around with the older kids and, and they, you know, they had motorbikes and cars and they were, you know, almost adults. And mm. so I kind of got a bit of a university of life thing going quite an early age between that and the paper round and the, and, and the guy that ran the paper shop took a shine to me. I, I kind of got promoted up through the ranks and I became his kind of second in command. Mm. And he was always giving me out his, his philosophy of life. So all I right, had okay really weird combination of a square bashing school where I was supposed mm. to learn stuff and actually you know the street <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sailing club <laughs> yeah. um, you know. did, did you um so when it came to exams um <laughs> what happened there did do you remember what you got did, did, oh did... yeah I kind of do I mean it's not a memory I really hang on to For, I had this conversation not about me but I I just sometimes when I'm interviewing people, I'll ask a little bit about their school memories. Mm. You know, were you the kid that, you know, when the exam results were put up in, in the olden days, that's bits of paper yeah, on the, the board. Board, yeah. board. You know, where did you look for your name? Top down, bottom up. I mean, it, it was always <laughs> bottom up. And I was always pretty disappointed that I didn't have to look too far before I found my name. I yeah. really didn't do very well. Um, I did. I mean, you know, it, it was quite um, um, a, an academically strong school, Kings, and it, it, I think it probably is now. But um, so, you know, I guess if you're in a fourth string of Kings, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be right down the back of the pack. You just feel like you are because, that you know, because you are. And um, and I got quite a lot of O-levels, um, but, you know, some of those O-levels were A-levels that I didn't pass as well as three O-levels that I actually took, if you get my drift. But I did a big transition. I was um, I was getting more and more of a misfit at home, and I was just trying to find my independence. And um, I, I just wanted to leave home at 16, and mum really was doing her best to prevent that and and you know she didn't it was very hard for her because I was pretty willful and pretty strong but I um I did watch a tv documentary someday on a school where kids were hanging around it not in school uniform it was co-educational mm. um it was in the era of punk and they had the you know the spikes sugar spiked hair yeah. and the leopard skin trousers that were sort of bondage strapped at the knee yeah. I mean Jesus Anyway, um, I was watching that and it was, you know, quite a well-known school. And I remember saying to mum, you know, I, I will continue at school if I go to a place like that. Right. So I, I get emotional thinking about it because, <laughs> of course, you know, at the time, yeah, the fact that she dragged me around 16, one, six different schools. Blimey. I just, as a 16-year-old, as a 15-year-old, yeah, 15 year old going on 16 just yeah. an enormous pain in the proverbial yeah that is motherhood right yeah she was just <laughs> you know i i didn't see it as such at the time you know that that's it's an emotional thought to me yeah as a parent now i uh, you know what is the right thing to push what you think is right or not mm. but anyway she dragged me around these uh you know various schools um and you know the only one that i'd seen the documentary on was the only one I wanted to go to mm. and they didn't uh, they you know they were the only one that didn't give me a place so I oh. thought that's it I'm off to I'm off to join the navy or something like that yeah and um, the next thing I know I'm <clears throat> I'm back down there for a second interview having been told you know that I, I wasn't wanted by them right. and I was very confused um, and it was a bit of a um um bit of a hijacking you know I sort of I got there mum had this real ramshackle old car and uh, and dad had come down that time as well and uh, they opened the boot of the car and brought my viola out I'm like 
what's that doing? They want <laughs> they want to hear you play it. It's like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, mean, I, I only played the viola because I got fired by my violin teacher because I used to, you know, I know this will ast astonish you, but I didn't do any practice at all, Tony. I just used to turn up and chat at my lessons. And the violin quite <laughs> high standards and didn't see the point in teaching somebody that wouldn't practice. Whereas the viola teacher quite liked having a chat with me once a week. Right. For a bit wow. of extra money. So <laughs> I'm just, that's, that's very rude to that lovely man. But anyway, so I did play the viola and, and, and I don't know, they pulled some academic strings. They'd said something like, you know, you got to realise this is an escapee German Jew, fellow of the Royal Society, head of the maths uh, 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 at the science faculty at King's London. You know, it's his son. You need to give him a second viewing. And and and, right. uh, and by the way, he plays the viola. Oh, well, by the way, we need a viola player in the... Uh... <laughs> anyway, so I spent two years at Beedells, which really was my university of life more than anything else. Yeah. Um, and everything that I previously thought was cool and right on you know, th that was all out of whack there and it's a whole right. amazing place and so you know I, I you talk about privilege you know you don't realize and look you know when I when I was born I don't know what my destiny was could have been mm. you know I got adopted by a, a, a family that weren't well off but they they sacrificed everything to to to, to put me into good places and mm. you know, as far as they were concerned that was all so I could go to university, which is the one thing I always knew I didn't want to do. So what happened there then when it came to you've finished your two years at Beedales and then you say what? <laughs> well, I, I, firstly, on the two years at Beedales, um, the, the current, I don't know what the current headmaster uh, uh, might think of this, but Beedales keeps in touch with its alumni and they've had me back and I've spoken there. And I have spoken and I always speak to the people in the audience <clears throat> who look from the bottom up at the mm. results and don't feel like they fit because mm. I, that's who I want to speak to. And when I was at Beedells, you didn't have to go to lessons. Now, some people have subsequently <laughs> told me that's not right. I can assure anybody, <laughs> you know, and we we keep in touch. There's a lovely WhatsApp group with the, the yeah. my my school year leave, and some people have gone on to amazing things, yeah. you know. Uh, but a whole variety of things, from taxi driving to founding household name companies that you know, all a lot of them have been lovies and done very well on mm. on on the screen, and um and. At Beedales, although there were some pretty landed gentry there, you know there yeah. were I, I, you know there were people who came from far less well-heeled backgrounds than mine. You know, yeah. and mine, you know, so it's a strange thing, privilege. Yeah. You don't choose yeah. it; you end up with it. Yeah. If 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 you're lucky, but mm. you know, Bass works in all directions. So I tumbled out of there. Um, I had actually got a place at Southampton Institute to do yacht and boat design. I didn't want to do further education. I liked sailing. I was pretty serious about my sailing even then. Mm -hmm. um, um, but the girl that I was going out with at the time was going to Southampton to do French. <laughs> and so that's why I was going to Southampton. But, you know, yeah. according to her dad, because we spent too much time hanging out together, she didn't get the grades she needed and she went to Cardiff. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to go to Southampton on my own to do yacht and boat design. I'm going to get a job. And um, if if I hadn't left home, I'm I'm sure I'd have been kicked out. I mean, Mum was pretty sad, yeah, uh, and desperate. And um, and you know, ten years after that, mm. when Bites was you know already you know a reasonably successful company. Mm. Uh, that's the company that I started with this other chap some sometime in between uh, I remember her saying to me I had like 100 staff at the time and I remember her saying to me Sean if you want to make a go of your life I'm still prepared to, to sponsor you through university <laughs> thinking oh, oh classic <laughs> I feel like he didn't go so embarrassing embarrassment to your parents you didn't go I didn't go to university oh. um okay you left you've got a job then then we're suddenly at you're running a company with 100 people how did you get from <laughs> not going to university to get your first job to then founding and a company yeah. and employing lots um, of people well it, you know it's funny because 
just to pause for a second, I couldn't fathom how my dad had left Nazi Germany and found his way yeah. to Palestine. I couldn't work out how he'd been, you know, there's more to it. He had all sorts of hilarious things, but, you know, getting electrocuted on a roof as a really, really rubbish electrician connecting, you know, the wrong thing up to the wrong thing, going on hunger strike and ending up in the UK and then being a genius mathematician. I mean, like, I don't get how all of that happened. Yeah. I remember being very confused when I was younger um about how that all happened mm -hmm. and i suffer a little bit of that confusion in my own life now because only i mean it's you know i'm a really simple kind of person in terms of you know things are simple and it's just weird how one thing can lead to another can lead to another and and you know so the first thing is i i always thought i was kind of lazy but i wasn't it was a, a self-image thing because i mean crikey i was getting up at quarter to six every morning and doing a paper round and cycling you know a long long way through you know so I wasn't lazy I just had this image of being lazy so what happened was I ended up doing something um so I listened to capital radio a lot and they used to have the capital jobs line and they would highlight some jobs from around the capital and right. I know Kingston is around the capital but you know the, the Kingston job since this afternoon you can be a youth opportunity worker as a <laughs> operator so I, I i got on my bike and cycled over to kingston job center and they were saying no 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 you've got you've got o levels you you know you're overqualified for this job you know the only qualification you need for this job is to be able to read a ruler and i said well i i can and said, no 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 you really don't understand this is not the right job for you and um, I remember being really pushy with the woman in, 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 and I said, well, how does it work? Well, how does it normally work? So, well, if, if I have somebody that's right, I ring up the bloke who's who's hiring you. And the, the YOP scheme was a form of government backed apprentice. Right. Scheme. You got paid yeah. 16 pounds a week mm. and the government paid you and the, the, the employer just provided the work, didn't make a contribution at all. And the idea was no obligation, but, uh, you know, at the end of three months when that apprenticeship had kind of done its time, um, if they liked the look of you, they'd, they'd take you on. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, I, I was being pushy with a woman and she said, well, I ring them up. And if they if they want to, they'll interview you. So why don't you give me a ring anyway and just check with him that I'm not overqualified. <laughs> and so I basically, you know, just persuaded her, enthused her oh into ringing this guy les and she rings him and i cycle over to meet him and he was going wow you are overqualified but you know if that doesn't give you a problem it doesn't give me a problem oh the other thing i should tell you sean is there's no way there'll be a job in three months time <laughs> they're just not doing that well you know I, i'm just being a bit cheeky and just getting a bit of you know inexpensive help but in next to no time i was kind of you know reorganizing his systems and you know telling him better ways of running his own business and all sorts of shit and he kind of didn't have a problem with that and uh, you know the three the three months kind of flew by and a camera operator this is something that doesn't exist anymore this, the digital era put it out but in the olden days the way that printing worked mm. um you took whether it was a black and white full tone black and white or or, or a full tone color and you would break it into um, negatives either one negative black and white or four if it was for color the three prime yeah. black and with little dots in and that's how the printing process required that all of the sort of um, industrial photography processes to go on in the background mm. and it was it was a skilled thing and so I spent a lot of my my, my sort of young life in a, in a dark room and operating these cameras and um, I ended up um after my three months there getting a job in hackney and living in a really naff kind of house share in wood green and um and I, I i i spent a year there and um it was interesting because i always ask people again when i'm interviewing people I always ask about the interconnections between roles because i kind of have this thinking that people are either going away from something or towards something i mean often there's a little bit of both but when you ask people that you'll yeah. get a clear steer, you know, to what extent they're going away from versus towards. Um, and I just find that interesting. And I was working for this company, Trade Processes Limited, and I spent a year there. And it was trade unions and, you know, the printing industry. It's quite, you know, on the Lee Bridge Canal, you know, we 
had a dead body roll up one day on the Lee Bridge Canal and we couldn't leave our, our, our unit for the whole day. It was really, you know, it was quite yeah. real. Anyway, the boss goes away. The boss had, had sold the firm to a big printing company, but was still the boss. And um, he went away on holiday and the father of the chapel, which was kind of like the main man, second in command and also the union rep. Um, um, he was away at the same time. And I suppose I was the next most sensible person there. And I never understood why we had yellow and blue dockets. And the boss said to me, I've got to explain to you why we've got yellow and blue dockets. They were the work dockets that followed the work through the process in, in, yes. in, 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 the, in the production. And he said, basically, the blue ones, you know, that they go to head office. The yellow ones, they go into a drawer in my office and they're all cash sales. And I said, OK. And what happens with that? He said, well, because I'm away and George is away, all the yellow ones, that's your benefit next week. Like, what do you mean that's my I didn't understand what he was saying to me. I remember thinking, holy schmoly. I could think how many yellow dockets we were doing. I was just thinking, well, we're never going to get promoted here. We're never going to get anywhere here because they're siphoning the profit out the back door. I mean, it's mm. like, it's complete, it's disgusting. And the other thing that happened simultaneously to that was that they had just brought their first digital scanner in. And one of the processes that used to take a lot of skill, that a couple of kids, one with a white puck and one with a black puck and their job was to on a photograph find the lightest bit and put the light puck on it and the darkest bit and, and they literally had two kids for the unit <laughs> but i think the unions had some view because i mean that used to, that used to be a whole day's work doing that and then digitally right. you know you could put it in the machine if it was within a certain size and it would just yeah. create the, the the internegatives um so i'm thinking between that machine and my crooked boss i'm out of here yeah. So I thought the obvious thing to do was to, to go it alone and, and set up uh, my own business. So I don't know why, but I thought I'd become a photographer and I thought I'd take pictures of the kids at the local ice rink at Richmond. And I thought I would take um, a bit of evening work to pay my rent. I'd moved them back to Kingston and I knocked on the on the restaurant opposite uh, where I, I was living. And I said, uh, I I live nearby. I'm just curious, do you ever have any casual labour for, for, for people like me? And they sort of, well, maybe sometimes. How close do you live? I said, like that window there opposite, other side <laughs> of the street. Okay, that is, we do get let down from time to time. We'll take take your number. So mm -hmm. I gave them the number and about four hours later, I get a phone call. Yeah, we've been let down. Do you want to start tonight? Uh -huh. So I went over there and I presumed as a non-skilled person working in a restaurant, I'd be you know, waiting on tables because mm. I kind of figured that that's what I'd be doing. I remember being um, invited to, to to get changed in the cellar in his blue and white check trousers and his funny white top with strange things instead of buttons like weird. Yeah. And, 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 and there's a, lot, a massive bag of onions. I mean, like half the size I was. So dice that lot up. So <laughs> I, and I, I actually quite handy in the kitchen as a nipper. And, and so I was like smashing my way through these onions. And again, hard work. I was just doing it mm. as hard as, as well as I could, thinking, obviously, I'll need to get back into my clothes and, and, and you know, be ready in time for service. And I was just going as fast as I could. And it turns out that was just some practical joke, the, the new kitchen porter. Uh... And, and, and this kid, he, he, he said to me, he said, how thick are you? I said, pardon me? He said, how <laughs> do you really think you're going to be serving you're, you're our kitchen porter you're going to be you're going to basically be our skivvy our slave and we just thought we'd you know give it to you but you know done pretty well with those onions and I just kind of I suppose I kind of charmed my way into their lives and I spent um a year trying to be a photographer while I wasn't doing shifts at this which was kind of a it wasn't they didn't have Michelin star restaurants in those days but it was that sort of thing mm. and I loved it and I got really 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 into it and I spent a while there um, and then um, when Lady Di got married mm. um, there was a extra bank holiday and um, what happened on that bank holiday was that a lot of restaurants did special menus and mm. you know it was going to be a big celebration the sailing club also had a 24-hour race going on and they wanted me to captain. It was a team race, one of the sides, which I, I felt pretty fortunate they'd asked me because I wasn't really good enough to, to do that. And I said to my mates in the restaurant, look, I, I can't do the shift on the Lady Die Day because, because, because. And they they were all very hard-assed, you know, kitchen guys. And I was like, we don't want you anyway, mate. You know, you're useless. I was like, cool. 
and uh, and the boss was begging me to go and he said I'll, I'll give you treble time but don't tell any of the others and so I, said, I, can't, I can't do it I've, I've given my word to the sailing club he said, mm. I'll give you four time but don't tell the others it's not about money mm. it, I don't give a hoot about the money it's it's about and he said well you're letting this team down and you know they are all very tough with you but they they are going to be screwed without you so I ended up doing a half and half thing and and George, the, the the head chef, when I turned up, you know, for the for the for the main thrust of the evening, like yeah. Scottish, well, oh, yeah, yeah. it's like you know, Ray, the boss, you know, said that you needed me. He's like he's really angry. At the end of the evening, George came over to me. His hands were trembling, and he said, um, "What's Ray paying you?" I said, "Well, I'm not supposed to say." He said, "You're not supposed to say because he's going to give you a, a rip off uh, uh, rate." I can't remember. George put it more colourfully than that yeah know, uncharacteristically filtering and um anyway they, they 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 were all on a fixed crack and it was about you know six times or seven times time and 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 Ray was having me over and um George was disappointed in me that I'd let my sailing mates down right and and I was disappointed in myself that I'd been basically lied to by that guy Ray Chance so you know this is the path to, 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 to founding a company I left that place immediately I just thought you know what mm. I, I, I've lost my way here I'm working every shift I mean every pocket every jean pocket I had 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 money in because yeah. I was working that many hours I couldn't run my own little business I couldn't spend yeah. any money in the shops I just kind of got kind of sucked yeah. into it I think you can say they were full of onions. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. So, you know, that was that was my formative years. And and then, you know, I lead a strange life, Tony. I I I left um without a clear idea of what I'd do next, but there was nowhere I was going to go back home. And I had to mm-hmm. earn my, my 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 rent and my food, you know, immediately. And I was um walking into Kingston again. And I went past um, um, an office and it had some company, clearly company cars outside. And I thought to myself, yeah, I fancy working for a firm like that and having a company <laughs> car. That suit me. I walked into Kingston Job Centre and that company was called Highline Reprographics and yeah. one of the vacancies they had. So I, I, I walked back there, got the job that afternoon and the white car that I've been looking at, which was a Vauxhall Chevette, that was yeah. my first company car. Wow. And they gave me a target of selling three of these reprographic cameras a year. I mean, these cameras were like big things. Yeah. Um, they filled the room. And um, um, by the end of month two, I'd sold my third camera. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't the gift of the gab. It, it was that I'd operated them, whereas all the loons that were trying to flog. Uh... So I just talked to people and, and sort of downsell them. You know, you don't want the bigger one. You want the smaller one, actually, because of all of this, that and the yeah. other. And um, so I, I, to me, it was like, this is all right. You know, this sales malarkey. I mean, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm just meeting people, being friendly and helping them. That was kind of how I saw it. And I walked back into the office feeling so good because the exact same day, uh, you know, without any means of paying for it, I'd actually put the deposit down and exchange contracts to to, to buy a house. Well, wow. it wasn't a deposit; it was I'd exchange contracts. I I I kind of figured how much I needed to sell to earn the deposit in the time frame needed. It was that way round. Yeah. I walked back into the office, and it was ashen faces everywhere. And there was a guy there that I was quite friendly with, a guy called Piers Piers Cook, and uh, he went, "You're right, kidder." I was like. Yeah, no, I've just got my third order. He went, all right. I said, hang on a second, all right. He said, I need to take you outside. It was him that had given me the inspiration to get the property. Mm. And he had a side a side gig of selling life insurance-based mortgages because his dad worked for some mortgage company and he'd tuck me up with, sorry, he'd help me out with a mortgage. And he said, um, do you know what it means for a company to go bust? I'm like, not really. He said, well, you're about to find out. Oh, no. <laughs> we're, we're, we're all getting made redundant. That's why everyone's got ashen faces. I said, but, but I've just sold that third camera. <clears throat> Don't worry about it. But, you know, will I get my wages? Don't worry about it. Uh, what about that mortgage that I've just signed? He said, worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he decided he was going to carry on doing what he'd been doing for them, but for himself. And I just argue, <clears throat> argued with him. 
Mm. You can't have a one man, one person company. <coughs> that he was buying and selling consumables for yep. the printing industry and, and then the emerging IT industry, floppy disks, listing mm. paper, ribbons. Yep. And he was the consumables division of this company Highline. And uh, as it was beginning to go into the digital era, and I just argued with him, like, you can't have a one-person business because if you're delivering to a client and the phone rings, then you're going to miss the phone call. I mean, that it was that level of practicality. Yeah. And in those days, telephone answering machines had first come out. And they weren't in businesses. They were in posh people's homes. And he said, well, I'm thinking about getting one of those telephone answering machines. I felt about laughing. He said, well, no one's going to leave you a message, for heaven's sake. It has to be at least two you know, A business has to have at least two people in it, surely, Piers. And he said, well, I can't, I can't afford to employ you, mate. I said, but you don't have to. I could, I could be your partner. And um, <laughs> there's a bit more to it than that, but not a lot more to it than that. We were right. partners and we had a deal. You know, we would sell something and 30% um, of the profit would go into the running costs of the business. Mm -hmm. And whoever sold it got 70% of the profit as their wages, commission only. Yeah. And um, he had... 30 odd customers from Highline mm. when we first started and obviously I had none and I literally just knocked on doors in industrial estates and in those days the knocking on doors question would be um, have you got a computer right no why would we need a computer oh you have got a computer can I speak to the person that buys the bits for your computer and you know some really nasty reception stuff would be really nasty to people knocking on doors and all the rest mm. of it and I got a decent break where I was I was in the reception of a big firm in Epsom having this conversation with a really, really unpleasant person on the front desk. And the very lovely bloke that was in charge of the computer uh, uh, consumable, uh, well, all of the computers there happened to walk past as she was basically tearing me to shreds. Mm -hmm. And he said, did I just hear you ask about computers? And I said, uh, oh, yes. He said, well, that's my domain. Would you like a cup of coffee? And I, I got my first really decent customer. And um, as soon as I got my sort of 31st customer, Piers turned around and said, I reckon we, we should do this differently. I reckon whoever sells it, it doesn't matter. We should yeah. all put 30% of the pot <laughs> 35 each way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Piers is a fantastic bloke. And, and, and don't read wrong into that story. Yeah. We were off. We had a business and I just worked hard. And we went from selling paper and ribbons and, and chasing back the original suppliers rather than buying from middlemen and printed computer stationery and then printers and then PCs and then networks. And by the late 80s that we were heading into the first ever property recession we ever had in the UK. Mm. And there was a, a lot of negative e equity in the market and a lot of redundancies and the market really depressed. And we were hanging on for dear life. Yeah. And um, I kind of figured, um, uh, you know, this business is too small to support both of us. But by then, Piers really was disconnected from what it was. And so I said to him on the 23rd of December that, that, uh, um, that year, 1990, I said, look, you know, we've got to go our separate ways. And he, he looked and he had a really lovely house with tons of positive equity in it. Yeah. And, and we had a few personal guarantees and we were about 30 staff at the time. And um, um, he had a lot to lose. I, I, I had about five grand of the positive equity in my house in Kingston, which, you know, it, I wouldn't have wanted to have lost it, but it wasn't a lot to lose. Yeah. And I just said, Look, you've got so much more to lose than me. And, mm. and you know, and you know, that was the beginning of the next phase. And, and and it went on and went on and went on. And, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Those guys are now a billion turnover and a, a billion value. Wow. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big believer in you need to go to university, Tony. I think you need to work hard. But I know that's a very old-fashioned attitude. But um, there's lots of questions that I've got. How... Um... How does that inform when you're hiring people? So you've, um, how many businesses have you bought and sold or? Well, it depends which way you look. So, so in my, on my, you know, in my world, mm. um, I built and sold bites. 
and I did some interim management and then I bought a company which is obviously I met you you're one of six Microsoft partner account managers <laughs> simultaneously for different things back in those days but yeah. you know, at Texas we bought two or three other businesses on top and then sold that and then um, I did my time at Microsoft and so you know in terms of you know on my own tariff if you like um, and I, it sounds blasé I've had some other property interests along the way about a dozen different companies of one sort or another um, um, nowadays what I do for a living is I help people um, grow value in their businesses and and more and more help them realize that value well, you know normally that's for an exit it's not always that you know it might be a partial exit they might raise money for private equity or whatever it happens to be and so since I started doing that which was after my only ever real job at Microsoft uh, where of course we worked together as well but um, you know so since 2012 I've been involved in 23 I counted up this morning actually 23 wow. uh, transactionable exits and almost a similar number of other restructures of one sort of, which is a ridiculous number in a short number of years but I work hard and and I'm known to a little cluster of people and so I get involved in that so vicariously it's quite a decent yeah. number I guess. Did, does anybody ever ask you what your academic background is or whether you have an <laughs> MBA? I, I just wonder that if it did, has I don't, that I don't, ever... I don't. I don't recall it and I don't know if 60 year olds get asked that question much anyway when I was um, um, working at Microsoft that was kind of hilarious because I was working you may remember I was working on a contract basis I'd gone to see Gordon Fraser after selling Texas I went to see him to let him know I always always went to the kind of Microsoft GM and let them know what I was up to sort of next and he had sat there with Scott Dodds and said well what are you doing next I don't know I bet you know what it's like to be in a channel managed by you know that, that works with Microsoft yes that's been my whole life yeah uh, I bet you could probably help us as well <laughs> you guys need it <laughs> so I, so I did actually do sort of eight or nine months just mm. you know every time the purchase order ran out say guys the purchase orders run out you need to cut me a new one and it was all on trust and then there was another recession. It was a sort of 2008, I think, crash. And they had to stop using contractors. And there was a glaring gap in the UK leadership team. They had no partner sales lead. And at mid-year review, they'd been kind of castigated for it. So it wasn't even Scott. Somebody, I think it was Paul White, had mentioned to me, you could do everyone a right favour and do what you're doing as an employee. And I laughed. I was thinking, I'm not an employee. I'm a businessman, for heaven's sake. Yeah. And I thought, what on earth? Does it matter what I am? I like doing what I'm doing. And I think I, I found a good place for me to be. And I feel welcome and, and able to help. So I sort of called up Scott and said, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll throw my hat in the ring for that partner sales role. And... Um, of course, that means, uh, you know, I had to rub shoulders with the people in talent acquisition and HR. So I might have been asked at that point, <laughs> but I think it was a very strange conversation. It was a, a, la a lady, you probably remember her called Agneta. Mm. Yes. And, yeah. and she basically said, well, I'm supposed to ask you all these questions and check you out, but it seems that all the powers that be really, really want you here and they don't want me to cock this up. So <laughs> I just need to guide you through the paperwork as if we've had the conversation. Mm. I remember, yeah, that's all right by me. And then she was talking about pay scales and she said, we have, you know, you'll be a level blah, blah, blah. And the pay scales from here to here. I said, well, I'll have that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why wouldn't I want that? Well, because that will impede your opportunity to get a promotion or a pay rise. I'm like, why would I care? <laughs> yeah. So that was my first experience of being asked that question in later life. But but it was kind of asked without needing to know the answer. Yeah. You, you know me, Tony. I talk a lot. And people don't <laughs> with me for very long before they find out that I'm adopted, dyslexic, and basically, you mm. know, ran away from home, uh, uh, ran away from a lovely home, you know, I, I, you, know uh, 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 um, you know, to make my own way. 
when I was 18 and I'm kind of proud of that and um, um, I, I, I'm not the other way I, I'm not again again against people that have got great academic mm. um, qualities but it, but just to say one thing is I've kind of I help a lot of very very academically bright people yeah make kind of practical decisions mm. and you know even within our family on my sister's side they've all kind of done brilliantly academically mm. uh, my kids have done brilliantly but they're not so academic and you know uh, nature I don't know and that was going to be a question um that I had for you is how did your experiences and I guess seeing what you do in business as well how do you think that influenced your children's decisions or what you wanted for your children oh that's that's a big question Tony and I don't I don't I don't I mean I don't know I mean I've always said to my kids and um, it was my father's influence on me live your life mm. you know he used to say I've got no worries about Sean you know I, I, um, he didn't pressurize me to go one way or the other mm. and um, I absolutely definitely did at, at key times do my best with with Gemma and um, Alexander um, you know, at certain pinch points, you know, when there are exams and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, look, their mum and I divorced a long, long time ago. And, you know, that's a rotten starting point because the parents need to be on the same page. And when they're not on the same page in life, it's pretty hard for them to be on the same page with that, which is not an excuse. I mean, it's an excuse to, to, to work at it harder. But we did have in some respects philosophically quite similar views we wanted them to do as well as they could do whilst they were doing it but we weren't het up about what it meant for the future actually caroline yeah. their mum had a fairly bohemian kind of childhood but she she went then the other way she she then wanted to put herself through college and she did learn up so she absolutely i'm, I'm sure her preference would have been that they took to academia more um they um neither of them liked academia and they kind of got through school both you know well Gemma stayed until the end of lower six mm. and Alex went all the way through and he went to Southampton and, and got a degree in marketing but but what does he do now it, it, he is like an action man he lives out in the wilds of um, northwest Canada works right. for a microbrewery you know, I hate the fact that he's miles and miles and miles away, um, but he's living his life and he's just doing, you know, he spent a, a little while living in a caravan, touring around, he's been resourceful and he doesn't want to sit in an office and he doesn't want to pay a ton of tax. He's got unbelievably high principles and he's very, very green. And, you know, his version of life is the life that he's leading. And, um, you know, so, he did get academic qualifications and I'm sure that proved useful to him in his life, but, but doesn't bear into the life that he currently leads. Mm. And he's, you know, just coming up to, to, to his thirties. Um, and Gemma, who's just a little bit older than him, she did go, she, she left, as I said, you know, a year before the end, um, um, in, the, in the end of her lower six, she went to the Academy of Contemporary Music in Guildford and, and thought she might be a pop star. Um, sorry, Gemma, if you ever get to hear or watch this. Uh, 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 then thought better of it and went to uh, Leeds Met to, to learn about um, running events and event management and did a year there um, of a, of a three-year course with the second year as a sandwich. She yeah. came out of that sandwich down to Hamble, which is where I'm, I'm basing myself today, and uh, and lived not very far from where I'm sitting and just loved being part of business being part of a, a firm and just didn't want to go back to uni after that and you know she's worked since you know and and for her you know when she is working she did end up at some point in the IT industry in quite a well-paid vendor management role <laughs> funnily enough but when she is working what gives her joy is working with people um solving people's problems being resourceful being needed being helpful being the expert at a process or whatever it happens to be and and you know 
that's all about her personality and she's not you know financially driven um i don't know that many people that are i know a lot of, a lot of people that say they are um so i guess to kind of come to a close um and it's such an amazing story sean just like i know like, we've met each other we work together and mm. i don't know just amazing all the different components they come together what's next then <laughs> oh totally i am absolutely loving what i'm doing and yeah. you know if i get the privilege to do what i'm doing right now till i can't do anything ever again i would be happy as larry um you know working with bright business owners um helping them see the wood for the trees taking the tough decisions you know i've scraped my knuckles plenty along the way and when you when you scrape your knuckles you get the opportunity to learn but you don't necessarily learn in that in that moment you, you know we often say the lesson i learned was <laughs> you yeah. don't really know um and so every day is a school day to me i don't I, i've seen lots of stuff i love helping the businesses that i work with uh, you know exceed their wildest dreams mm. and um I still feel, you know, we're so much a product of our of our of our yesteryears. I remember doing this thing in some <clears throat> speaking at WPC, and I was trying to make that point. You know, who thinks of themselves as a great artist? And very few people in the auditorium put their hands up. It's like, when did you last pick up a coloring pencil and try and draw? Yeah. You know, well, it was a long time ago, and you sort of forget that you know you're capability confidence in other areas might now help you in a way and you might actually be really talented with that or whatever so i i, I kind of always celebrate my oddness um i've always as my sister says shawnee you're always very sure <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's you know not everyone's cup of tea i know i'm not everyone's cup of tea but i've got a growing sense of confidence that some of the things that i've seen can be really helpful to people and when when i kind of get that lovely mix between somebody that really genuinely wants to take their themselves and their business forward and they're prepared to you know look at everything properly to to, yeah. to do that and um, when i meet somebody like that whose business you know bears some relation to something i can relate to where i think i could be the right person to help them then that's just it's just awesome and some of my clients when i first talked to them two in particular they they kind of presumed that i'd just not be interested because their businesses were tiny and mm -hmm. and i said to both of them oh, well i'm really glad that we're having this conversation i don't i don't have a metric for size mm -hmm. you know i'm only interested in 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 whether it be a lot of fun and whether i you know so to me my kind of catchphrase is I want to work with people who will feel really extremely lucky to have me in their wheelhouse, mm. whose wheelhouse I will feel extremely lucky to be in. It's kind of as simple as that. And if I can keep doing that, you know, at some point I'll get out of date. I'll, 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 I'll not know the new stuff. I'll just talk too much and I'll be a blithering old git, but you know, <laughs> that ain't, that ain't happening today. No. Um, and as an actual final point, so what do you think has served you, I don't know, consistently well? You think, because um, in my mind, I'm thinking, so firstly, selling ties are at school, or it's knocking on the restaurant door to say, can, what work have you got for me? Then it's say, I want that car outside that company. You know, what, what is it that's kind of served you well in you building know, I, your career? I, I mean, you know, it's a, I don't think I've been asked that question. And I hope when I reflect on it more later on, I'm, I'm, I'm still happy with this gut reaction. But I think what has defined everything is, you know, well, it's got to be possible, right? <laughs> you know, if other people can do it, you know, why couldn't I? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and actually, just because no one's ever done it, does that mean to say you can't do it? So I, um, mm. I kind of like just thinking pretty much everything's possible. I really believe that. And yeah. if it's possible, then it could be possible, you know, for me or with me. And yeah. so I think I think it's it's the sense of all the possibilities that I hope, you know, when I wake up tomorrow, 
That's a brilliant question. I hope for me it's that, you know, you, you'll never know. I mean, I'm sitting here in this really lovely place. I love what I do. I, I love my kids. My kids love me. I love my wife. My wife loves me. Uh, this is all, you know, very extreme. I feel incredibly lucky. And, um, um, and I think pretty much everything that's good and great would have seemed pretty improbable to me when I was that lumpy fat kid yeah. in primary school. Um, and mm. so, you know, I suppose it's that, you know, yeah. of all the possibilities. Love um, it, love it. That's great, thanks, Sean. That's a pleasure, Tony. What a lovely, what a lovely thing for somebody to go ask you about your life. I don't know, I, uh, you know, if anyone listens, Thank you for listening to University Challenged with me, Tony Kent, and my special guest, Sean Frolick. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you did, please give it a share on one of your favourite social media platforms. And if you feel so inclined, do leave a review.